Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. What a joy it always is to to gather with the people of God. And even when it isn't particularly joyful for us in our hearts, we have the hope and a prayer that as we leave this place, that the Lord will fill us with his spirit and with his hope. Uh, My name is Jamal. I am one of the pastors here. And if you are a guest, we are thrilled, elated that you are here with us. And we pray that your worship experience thus far um, has uh, added to, uh, uh, to you uh, knowing more about Jesus and experiencing his love and his grace. Hey, we're in a series about the parables of Jesus. A parable is a short statement or story that is thrown alongside of what Jesus has been teaching. It comes and it emphasizes or teaches a kingdom principle about God. And the first week of this kind of section of the parables about the kingdom of God, we looked at how God's kingdom, when we talk about the kingdom of God, how it is not fair, um, but how that's good news, how we come into God's kingdom by grace through faith and how we all deserve hell and eternal separation from God. But through his mercy, uh, we receive his promises. And then the second week, last week, we looked at how God's kingdom Uh, Citizens take his word uh, and we uh, take it into our hearts. We obey his word and we keep his word by grace. And how the soil of our heart needs to be uh, right in order to do that. And how God makes the soil right, but he also uh, gives us that desire to to keep his word, to live under his word. And today we're going to look at how God's kingdom uh, starts small, but it ends extravagantly. It starts small, but it ends extravagantly. And as we look at the world and everything around us, we have a great testimony about this principle, this kingdom principle that uh, things start small, small beginnings, but they can end great. And this is the way of the kingdom. The largest redwood trees in the world start out as a small seed. I was at the, the Muir Woods uh, this year in San Francisco And uh, I was just amazed at these redwood trees and how large they were. They're gigantic. They're incredible, breathtaking. And just reminded that these beautiful trees started really small with a small seed. Also, when you think about the largest man in the world, he started off as a small baby. Shaquille O'Neal, man, that man started off as a little baby. That's hard to believe. The biggest ships on the sea start off as a a pencil lead being placed on a thin layer of paper. Someone starts off with an imagination, with a vision. The tallest of buildings are begun from a a small single spade of dirt and all the greatest things that are known to man, they start small. So let's pray and then we'll dive into this kingdom principle and see how it applies to our life. Uh, Gracious Father, I come to you today uh, in deep need of you. Uh, indebted to your grace, standing before these, your people, with a mustard seed, a mustard seed that I pray that you would plant and fertilize and grow. 
I stand assured, Lord, that your word will not turn back into you void. I praise you that this is not a time to entertain or uh, to try to, to be something that I'm not or that we're not, but rather it's a time for us to open our hearts and allow your spirit to do what your spirit does. I pray, Father God, that you would awaken the cold heart. I pray that you will give sight to those who are blind. I pray that you'll give us ears to hear and a heart to obey your word. Jesus, you are great and greatly to be praised. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Jesus here is once again telling another parable, and it's in the midst of a storm of other parables. And he's been telling these parables or these short stories and statements that have a big kingdom principle one after another. Um, after going throughout the book of Matthew, after uh, teaching very plainly what it means uh, to have a, a new heart, what it means to be a disciple in G of Jesus. And so Jesus is sharing these parables almost as an act of judgment to the crowds that have been following because they have been following him, not because of who he is by faith, but rather what he or they perceive he can do for them. And so Jesus is, is pretty much starting to talk, speak some hard truths, some maybe complex truths through, through small, simple stories in order for those who are truly disciples of his to, to seek him more so that they can know him more. But we see he starts off with the second parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. 32 times in the gospel of Matthew does Jesus bring up the subject of the kingdom of heaven. Four times he uses the word basileia tau theos, or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, the, the kingdom of God is God's reign and rule on the hearts of his people. The kingdom of God is God's program, God's plan, God's agenda. The kingdom of God is God's theocracy. It is where his king rules. And who is his king? It is Jesus. The kingdom of God is both near and now, and it is still to come. Jesus came in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, saying, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news. One enters into the kingdom of God by confessing their own weakness, by confessing their own frailty, by seeing their own need as a result of their sin, and also by looking to a holy and a righteous God who can make them right with them through the blood of his son. So Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of heaven. He comes preaching the kingdom of God. And he says here that the kingdom of God is like. Now, if you're the average Jew and the average disciple listening at this point in time to Jesus preach about this kingdom of heaven that is near. And why is it near? Because the king is near. Why is it now? Because, because Jesus' presence is now on the earth through his people. But if you're listening uh, you're also wondering, many in the crowd, is this the Messiah? Who is this Jesus? And some of his disciples are telling people, this is the Christ. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that's going to free us from Rome's oppression. This is the one who's going to make the people of God become the center of the earth as they are the center of God's eye. So when they say the kingdom of God is like, they're probably looking for something extravagant, but Jesus gives them a small 
picture, a picture that would have confused them, a picture that probably would have threw off their expectations as he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And a man that goes out into his garden and he plants this mustard seed. And this mustard seed then begins over time to grow and to become this large tree. Now, some people, when they hear this language of a mustard seed, I was reading one article this week and someone was trying to prove that Jesus was errant. That Jesus, this proves that Jesus wasn't truly God because he says a mustard seed is not the smallest seed that there is. That's like, number one, that's not... Jesus' point, it's an illustration. But number two, in Palestine, in that day, in most common gardens, it was the smallest seed. And so when they heard this, they wouldn't have questioned Jesus and say, wait a minute, you have to do another illustration because you got something wrong. But rather, they would have just received it and understood what Jesus was saying. The kingdom of God has small beginnings, but it ends in an extravagant way. It ends in an incredible way. Small beginning. Those disciples would have said, wait a minute, Jesus, you, you've got you've to free us now. We don't have time to wait, but it's a small beginning. And that's just how God works. That's how things in God's kingdom work. That's how it worked in Genesis chapter uh, 2 when God creates Adam and Eve and, and makes them co-regents of his creation, tells them to take care of this garden. It started small. And yet they were supposed to fill the earth with God's glory by obeying him and taking rule over all that he had given them. But Adam and Eve failed. We see that this is a story of Israel as God brings them into the promised land. And God gives them a land flowing with milk and honey. And God wants them to be like this mustard seed, to start small and to expand his glory to the world so that the nations would come to know him. But Israel fails. We see this in Jeremiah 29. After Israel once again fails and they're taken into Babylonian captivity, we see that God tells them, even where you are, while you are held captive, I want you to build houses and plant vineyards and to live as light amongst a dark world. But we see over and over, once again, Israel fails. But then we see that this mustard seed that I believe that Jesus is talking about as he talks to this is, is him. It's God the Father planting him into this earth. It's him becoming incarnate, becoming man, taking on flesh so that we can have salvation and be a part of this kingdom. This kingdom that is not simply a that's not a political kingdom, but a, a kingdom that is not of this world. We see God once again starting small with Jesus as a baby being held by his mother while he was holding the whole world together. We see Jesus being born in Nazareth, a small, obscure town that is insignificant to everyone who knows about it. We see Jesus for 30 years of his life doing small things. No one really knew his name, uh, being obscure, and then for a small time of his life coming out and demonstrating God's kingdom. In John chapter 12, verse 23, we read that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains one, only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. And he says, look, I'm about to be planted. I'm about to die like a kernel of wheat. 
You're going to look around at this world and you're not going to be able to make sense of it. You're going to think back on my time on this world and you're going to be, you're going to doubt whether or not I am who I said I am. But I want you to know unless a kernel of wheat dies and goes to the ground, life won't happen in the same way the Son of Man must die so that life would happen. Mustard seed is a small seed, very small seed. But when it expands and when it grows, it becomes a place where birds, Jesus say, can, can rest and find protection and provision in the same way I'm going to die. But I'm going to, my kingdom will be a place where people will come to find peace, protection, and provision. And this is the gospel narrative. That God starts small and ends extravagantly. He starts with 11 misfit disciples who are afraid after Jesus dies. He starts with a few men and women that other people would have looked at and said, this is who the revolution is going to come through? This is who your kingdom is going to expand through? You use a, a carpenter, you use a tax collector, you use a woman who is known as a, as, as a sinner and being promiscuous. This is the people that you work through. But we see the seed organically and slowly growing from 11 to 72 to 500 to Acts 2 to 3,000 to spreading to the continent of Africa, to Asia, to Europe. And even now, as we Christians in America look um, out and we view our culture and our times, we may be tempted to think that God is not at work. But I want you to hear me today. God is at work. And God often does his work underneath the soil. He digs and, and, and allows deep roots to be built and allows it to, to grow. So as we think about this, may we say, Yes, Lord. You take small things and you make them great. And ultimately, we know that one day God's kingdom is going to be like a kingdom like no other. God's kingdom is going to be a place where there is no more, no more cancer, no more arthritis, no more broken relationships, no more floods that destroys basements, <laughs> no more. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. The kingdom that God has preparing started with a small seed. It started with the death of Jesus Christ, and it's going to blossom to be like a kingdom like no other. It's going to blossom to be better. If you can imagine better than Wakanda, I'm like, wow. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. I don't know, Lord. Wakanda looked pretty beautiful to me. It's going to be better than Narnia. It's going to be happier than Disneyland. And Jesus is saying, but keep your focus on the way that I work in the world. I work in discreet ways, sneaky ways, slow ways, gradual ways, not often big and flashy ways. Second, we see that inwardly the kingdom of heaven permeates every facet of our lives and every corner of the earth. So Jesus uses here another beautiful analogy, this time this of a woman who takes yeast and mixes it into six pounds of flour 
And so that yeast works through all of the dough. And Jesus' point here is that yeast, though it too is, is very small, it is very poignant. It could take a flat piece of, of pita-type uh, bread, and you put it in that yeast, and it can expand to be the fluffiest pillow type of bread there is. And Jesus says the kingdom of God, I believe, first he's looking at outwardly how the kingdom of God gives us hope in this world, but inwardly the kingdom of God gives us hope in our own lives. It permeates in our own lives. When we believe and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, God begins to work in small ways, gradual ways, to give us hope and to give us life. Well, the mustard seed starts on the outside and is planted on the inside. This, this yeast works from the inside out. And this is God's promise in the Old Testament to, to Israel that he's going to take hearts of stone, he tells Ezekiel, and give them hearts of flesh that the Spirit is going to do a work in their hearts that they cannot make sense of, and that as a result, God's people will finally be the light that they're called to be and finally be the city on a hill. And the way that it works in our own life is small. When we come to faith in Christ, there's so much that can be overwhelming as we look to Christ and we see who he is and we see how he anticipated and expects his people to live. We can get overwhelmed, but this word tells us not to get overwhelmed, to let God do his baking, to let the process take his course. And slowly our worldview begins to change. Our thought life begins to change. Our affections begins to change. That's how it happened with me. My speech began to change. How I spent my, my time began to change. What I thought was good and beautiful begins to change as the Spirit convicts and also the Spirit enables and empowers that, that change. The same is happening to some of you in here. If you think back on a way perhaps you viewed just life in general, and then as you came to Christ, as you begin to learn his ways, you begin to say, no, life, it begins at conception. And that even a child in a mother's womb has dignity and purpose. And, and some of you here had your perspective changed on a way you viewed singleness. And you said, you know, this singleness, my singleness is not just for me to do whatever I want, but it's for me to submit to God's kingdom agenda and to know that God has a purpose and a use for me. And I'm not a second class citizen in the kingdom of God, but I belong. And God hasn't called me to gripe about my current situation or neither to, to grab for, for something that he has not ordained, but rather to trust him and to grow and to obey him and to live. It changes our view on the way we view marriage. The night before I proposed to my wife, I went to the men's warehouse to try to buy a suit to look good for my proposal. And I remember telling those who were working there, they said, man, why are you getting all G'd up? Why are you trying to look all fresh? I said, well, tomorrow I'm dropping on a knee and I'm popping the question. And then immediately the guy said, no, don't do that. Why in the world would you do that? That's the dumbest thing I've heard. And then he calls another guy over, and the other guy's like, man, don't do it. I've been stuck in marriage for 20 years. You're too young. And then a woman comes over. I'm like, I got three people trying to convince me not to buy a suit in your store because I'm proposing. <laughs> but that is a secular, ungodly perspective of marriage. 
But as that yeast, the, the spirit works on a person who has given their life to Jesus, you begin to see things differently because of the word of God. He said, no, marriage is beautiful. It is ordained by God. It is a picture of the way Christ views his church and the way the church submits in reverence to Christ. Say, it is hard, it is messy, but it is good. It's not a, a capstone, it's a cornerstone in which if the Lord enables us, we build off of. It changes all of these things in the way we see ourselves. But God wants to remind us that, that it works like yeast. It, it spreads slowly. It's progressive. That's what we call progressive sanctification. It doesn't happen all at once. And perhaps you're here today and you are discouraged as you look at your own life and you're wondering if this, this Christian walk is going the way that it should be going. I pray that you would look to this text and see that the, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixes it into 60 pounds of flour until it works its way through the kingdom of heaven. God is mixing, mixing and, and making and molding and shaping your own heart. So as you think and you say, man, Lord, I still lie. God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. Lord, I still live with a deep sense of anxiety and the fear of man. God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. God, I, I just don't seem like I'm, I'm as, as successful with, with sharing the gospel with my friends and, and telling them I'm not done with you yet. Lord, my, my marriage is so complicated and we're trying to strive to do our best to, to, to move forward. I'm not done with you yet. Lord, being, being single and, and my sexuality and my desires seem to be overtaking me and I just want to give up and give in and just quit. God is saying, I am not done with you yet. Let my process happen. It is gradual, it is often painful, it is progressive, but it is, it is the way I do it. It's the way I work. Look to my son Jesus. Look to him as your pardon. Remember, he is your great mediator that when you fall, you can, you can look to him and find forgiveness. Look to him as, as your, your pattern, the way that he, he loved his father and sought to do his father's will, and you do the same. But ultimately, look to his power and realize that your changing is not a result of self-effort by itself, but it's a result of the Lord coming alongside you and empowering you to change and to grow. So this text reminds us to be patient with ourselves the text reminds us as the Lord is working inwardly to also to be patient with other people. Jesus has just told, and this is kind of sandwiched in between uh, a multiple, uh, uh, the same parable in multiple ways, the parable of the weeds. And Jesus tells a parable about the weeds uh, growing up uh, in, in the same uh, uh, way as, as, as the harvest. And he's telling his disciples pretty much to be patient, not to pluck uh, the, the weeds out from the wheat, but rather to know that God will one day do that. And it's a good reminder for us to be patient with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to bear with them, to not give up on them, that God is working through them as well. And just like you have shortcomings and, and issues, that, that so does your brothers and sisters in Christ. And may we pray for them, hold them accountable, speak the truth in love, but may we have confidence in he who begun a good work in them that he'll bring it to completion. We see this patience with the apostle all throughout the scriptures. I'm always amazed when I read 1 Corinthians and how 
This church at Corinth was just in so much trouble. I mean, by 1 Corinthians 15, they're denying the literal resurrection. But yet the Apostle Paul starts off the first nine verses talking about God's grace in their lives, uh, uh, accentuating and, and bringing to the forefront how gifted they are as a church. And gradually, as he preaches and talks to them, he brings up issues and calls them back to the cross. And God empowers us to do the same. The kingdom of God in his kingdom, it starts small and it grows to be extravagant. This text also is a reminder for us to not despise small things. Sometimes I think we look for the big, we look for the bang, we look for the, the thing that's going to get us all the, maybe the attention or the accolades or, or help us to feel good about ourselves. But this is a reminder that God often works through small acts. And that one day when we're in glory, when God plays back our life, I believe the things that he's going to congratulate us on is not the things that got us accolades or not the things that, uh, that people celebrated, but it's the things that we overlooked. It's the time we took to, to talk to someone in a grocery store who we saw was burdened. It's a conversation we had in community group when we were in a rush and ready to, to go home when we paused and talked to a brother or sister in Christ and just encouraged them on the way. It's the $5 perhaps we gave to someone on the side of the road, even though we wasn't sure of their motives, who said that they were in need. God can use small acts of kindness and small acts of obedience over a long period of time to do beautiful things. The kingdom that we're a part of is not like this world. It is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus didn't come how we expected him to come. He came in a different way. And in your life, Jesus may not come the way that you expect him to come in a big, loud way. But as the prophet Elijah found out, sometimes he comes in a small whisper, and he calls us today to trust him and to obey him, to look to him, to receive his power, and to keep moving forward, to trust the process. Jesus stood before Pilate in the Gospel of John, and Pilate asked him this question. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summons Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Listen to Jesus' reply. My, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from, from another place. And notice what Jesus said. He did not say that my kingdom is not in this world. He said it's not of this world. And Christian, I just want to remind you, that Jesus says that we are in this world, but not of this world. And God is changing us from the inside out to remind us that while the world may value different things and count victories in different ways, that in God's kingdom, victory is, is counted on a different scale. So is greatness, and so is, is life. And may we remind ourselves of these truths that God is at work even when it doesn't appear that he is. And even through the hard times where it seems like things aren't happening, seems like things aren't growing, that he, he is on a move. And every Sunday we remind ourselves of this 
as we set our eyes to the cross of Christ, to his crucifixion, to his death, and we're reminded that through his death, life came. And even through our own many deaths in our life, many experiences in our life, does life come. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks. He says, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Every week at Sojourn, we take this meal called communion to remind us of a union we have with Christ. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. We do this to remind ourselves of, of God being at work, even in difficult circumstances or circumstances that we don't, we can't explain. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you not to partake in this meal, but rather my encouragement to you is to take Christ, to trust him by faith. And the Bible says that you don't have to have a perfect faith. Um, your faith is not in faith. <laughs> your faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that you don't have to have a big faith. It actually says the faith the size of a mustard seed. It's a powerful faith, a faith that expands and that grows with time, a faith that says, I believe that Jesus Christ was a literal man who lived a life that I could not live and died the death that I deserved who took my sins upon himself and who in exchange gave me his righteousness so that I can be forgiven by God and brought in relationship with him. That it is by his stripes that I am healed and that he takes beauty, ashes, and turns it into beauty. And he does a slow, gradual work on my heart. Believe in this gospel. Believe in this good news. Believe in his resurrected Savior, that he can take you in your mess and your doubt with your secrets, with your past, and bring beauty. Bring beauty. Those of you in the front, you come to the front to take communion. Those of you in the back, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is over to my left. Let's pray.